It's Monday, October 18th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, the uh, NL Championship Series uh, had game two last night, and for the second consecutive day, the Braves walked off the Dodgers. They win 5-4. Eddie Rosario, the hero, and uh, Eddie Rosario looks like he's He's doing stuff for the Braves that the uh, the Indians and uh, you know Cleveland fans sort of had leave their heads scratched and saying you know why couldn't he hit when he was here in Cleveland earlier this year? Yeah, he looks. Uh, he's gone from a piece of dead wood to uh, a playoff hero in, uh, in 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 from from Cleveland to Atlanta. I mean, he was on fire uh, last night, Joe. Four for five. Uh, scored from uh, I think scored from first second base. Ron Washington, uh, you know. Uh, the third base coach, mm-hmm. former Indian Ron Washington, had a gutsy, uh, you know, sent him on a gutsy uh, move, and he scored. I think the tying run, and then, and then drove in the game winner with a, a bullet off of uh, Bellinger's glove at, at behind second base to win it in the ninth. And I was looking at some numbers, Joe. You know, what the Indians traded Rosario. He was on a DL with an oblique injury, mm-hmm. and I mean, mm-hmm. he looked like. He was done. You know, he looked like he was a forgotten guy. And he goes there and uh, in in 33 games, he had 271, uh, seven home runs, 16 RBIs. In, in 78 games in Cleveland, he had 254 with seven home runs and 46 RBIs. So, I mean, you know, it just, he just, he just didn't look like the same player to, you know, with that. When in Cleveland, he didn't look like the same player that we had seen, you know, play for the Twins, especially against the Indians. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no power. There was uh, he was a singles hitter, basically hitting in the middle of the lineup. And yeah, it, it it sort of how much do you think just being in Cleveland might have just been, uh, you know, weird for him, or after playing the Indians for all those years, uh, to to come to Cleveland, maybe that would did that have any bearing on his performance I I can't imagine that it that it would have but but you're right it just body language and I, you never really saw you know the kind of like joy of playing the game that that he he, he would have had with uh, with the twins uh, maybe the change of scenery was was all that he needed during the season yeah I don't know if he was still sulking I don't I don't mean it's sulking I don't want to say that but maybe he's still upset that the twins not tendered him you know he had that was his organization. They had drafted him. He came up through there. He had done good things for them. <clears throat> and then, you know, they, they kind of cast him aside. Maybe it took him a while to get over that and, and getting traded to uh, Atlanta, you know, a, a playoff contender kind of, you know, restoked his fire. I, I don't know, but he certainly looks like a different player right now. He's what uh, he had 308 in the NLDS. And now he's hitting like he's, for the first two games in the NLCS, he's hitting 556. Yeah, overall, overall in the postseason right now, he's at 409 with an 844 OPS. Uh, and it's not like Atlanta didn't need him. Atlanta lost Ronald Acuna and they had to rebuild their entire outfield, uh, you know, sort of on the fly during the season. They they brought in uh Jorge Soler and and you know did uh did a lot to to get to where they are right now. But for, for Rosario, you know, he's going to be a, a free agent again. And maybe, you know, this helps him. This gives him a little bit, bit of a boost uh, in that, you know, regard. But I, I just, 
I can't imagine, you know, somebody who had as much success as he had in, in Minnesota, just being so miserable in Cleveland and, and turning things around when he got to Atlanta, this, this, this way, uh, I guess attitude and environment really, really does, uh, have that much of a, a factor on the, the way a, a hitter performs sometimes. Yeah. You know, and he came to, uh, you know, progressive field, the place where he, he had loved to hit where his numbers were off the charts and he just, he just didn't hit. I mean, I mean, right. he hit, but you know, and he was fairly productive, but you know, we just didn't see the flash, you know, that you, you wanted. You, you didn't see that power that, that we thought. And um, I guess maybe it just goes to show you that, you know, unless you see a guy play every day, you really don't, don't get a true read on him. But I think, you know, going to Atlanta, going to a contender, you know, the Indians were always, you know, he was, they, they were, you know, they had reached that stage when they traded him that they were going to pull the plug and, you know, they were going young and, and uh, maybe that affected him. And uh, when he got to Atlanta and got healthy, you know, maybe he, he just, you know, he knew he had a chance. And like you said, Joe, he, He's a free agent, so it's nice to be uh, going to the free agent in into the market after a postseason like this. If he continues to hit, correct, yeah. Uh, on the other side of that, uh, Max Scherzer, who uh, you know will be going into a free agent year uh, uh, after this season, uh, pitched four times in the last twelve days since the playoffs started with the uh, the National League Wild Card game. Uh, he pitched, started yesterday, went four and a third, <clears throat> gave up two runs, and said afterwards that his arm felt dead. Uh, are the Dodgers in danger of Corey Klubering, Max Scherzer? Yeah, a great point. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you that the crazy way, you know, teams are not crazy, but just the, uh, you know, the, the meticulous and kind of the deep dive every team does in, on how to use their pitching staff. On, on every postseason game, when a guy uh, like Scherzer kind of gets, you know, you, you're used, you're burning his candle at the front end and the back end. He's he's starting, he's closing, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's just, it just really wears on a pitcher. I mean, if Scherzer is is you know, you know, <laughs> wants to come up for air, I mean, just think about this. I mean, this is a guy that. You know, is made 34, 30, 32 starts a year, 200 inning guy. He's been to the postseason, and if he's running on fuse, something. You know, I don't know if they've they've kind of overused him. You know, he got traded from uh, the Nationals to to L.A. Did he did he you know just get overextended or I I don't know. So it's 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 interesting. Well, and it's, it, it just gives me the same feeling that it, it did when the Indians, you know, rode Corey Kluber in, in 2016 as much as they did, rode him in the, the 2017 playoffs and tried to bring him back on, on short rest. And then, you know, he hit the wall in 2018, 2019, and then the injuries followed. Uh, it, it would be a shame to see a, a, a guy like Max Scherzer, you know, and we're we're not going to throw dirt on him yet. I mean, he might still come back if the uh, if the Dodgers can extend things and and pitch again in this series. Who knows? But uh, just when you hear a guy like Scherzer say things like "my arm felt dead," that that throws up giant red flags for sure. And uh, you know, you wrote about the way that you know teams use their their pitchers in the playoffs differently. You wrote about that over the weekend, and uh, maybe point a couple of fingers at, at Tito and, and Terry Francona and 
the way he started to, to sort of revolutionize the, the bullpen usage in 2016 uh, with the team that he had there in Cleveland. Yeah, you know, the thing is, you know, the Dodgers are doing this when, you know, okay, they lost Trevor Bauer, but there's their pitching staff isn't injured, right? I mean, right. They're, no, they're fully loaded. Yeah, they, don't even have cool. David, they don't even have David Price on the, on the NLCS roster. That's, that's how loaded their pitching staff is. Yeah. And I mean, Tito had to do that. He had no choice. He had what two starters basically uh, in 2016. But uh, you know, I just think sometimes you kind of overthink that you can really overthink this. And in, in Scherzer's case, I know what he's, he's made a couple starts and, and he, he made the, uh, you know, save the, uh, the game against the Giants to, to put him in the NLCS. But, you know, he, he throw you know, he's a, he's a full, full, he's a, like a, what do they call it? He, every pitch is, is, is at max. Maximum max effort. effort. That's it. Maximum yeah. effort. All right. A uh, lot going on in the league right now, uh, league-wide, uh, a lot of news coming out. Uh, we, we found out uh, over the weekend that Major League Baseball is going to provide uh, housing for minor leaguers and is going to sort of uh, a total shift for them, uh, sort of in accordance with all the changes that they made, uh, turning the minor leagues into a giant development program uh, over last offseason. Uh, in 2021, the league increased the salaries for minor league players uh, from between 38 and 72 percent, depending on the level. Uh, now they're going to be providing housing uh, for probably for some of the you know lower level guys, uh, the younger guys who who need sort of a structure and an environment there. Uh, as you progress through the system and you're you're at Double A AA and Triple A, you're you're a little bit more on your own. Uh, but this is a this is a revolutionary thing, you know, because the conditions for some of these lower level minor leaguers uh, were were almost I don't want to say inhumane, but you know I've seen pictures of of guys saying, you know, there were their their housing conditions when they were in the minors they were practically sleeping on top of each other in in, in dorm rooms uh, for for an entire summer season. Yeah, it it, it has not been good. Uh... You know, I, I was thinking when I read those stories, I was thinking about the Indians had just built, you know, this this big like a hotel across the street from uh, from their training complex in Goodyear, Arizona, where the minor leaguers stay. A lot of the minor leaguers stay. And, uh, you know, some guys said stayed there, you know, two years ago when they couldn't go home during COVID. And, uh, you know, I'm sure all the guys that were playing out in the uh, Arizona Complex League this year you know, they were staying there some, and then, you know, just rooms for staff members, but it is, uh, it is a, an area where, you know, baseball has to, uh, you know, I would think address, you know, and, you know, sometimes I know the Indians have always had a program where, you know, you have, uh, you know, players stay with guest families, you know, during like host seasons. families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Host families. And, you know, that, that's all. And I'm sure other teams do that, but, you know, I, I don't think, you, you know, but then you hear, read stories where, you know, there's six guys living in, in somebody's basement. So, uh, you know, I, th that's something that has to be addressed. It's, if you're a number one draft pick, you're really going to, that's what you're going to put your number one draft pick through. You know, I, I know, I know teams don't want guys to like playing in the minors and get used to playing in the minors. They want them to try as hard as they can to get to the big leagues. But, you know, I think they can do it a better, there's better ways to do it than that. 
I don't know if I'm a number one draft pick, I'm taking some of that uh, signing bonus money and, and maybe getting a, a nice room at the best Western for a uh, for summer, if I can afford that. Yeah, that makes uh, sense, know, Joe. Definitely. You know, that to me, that makes more sense than staying in somebody's basement or, or garage or something. But, but just the, you know, there was such a negative and a big sort of pushback against uh when Major League Baseball said, okay, we're taking over minor league baseball, we're going to, you know, streamline the number of teams and everybody's going to have to have these, these certain standards for parks and, and, and all that. Um, there was a lot of pushback at the time. People were outraged and, and in, in a lot of cases, sometimes deservedly so because of, you know, teams were losing or cities were losing teams and, and all that. But, you know, if this is the end result, if, you know, better compensation and better living conditions and better working conditions. I mean, that's actually uh, ahead of the curve. That, that's that's uh, a corporation or a company that's doing something right for a change. Now, I, I, it's all done with the the eye on you know more profits, anyways. But uh, again, uh, I, I got to be in favor of anything that is uh, you know for better working conditions and better living quarters. Yeah, definitely. I mean, these. <laughs> These are the guys you drafted. These are the guys you signed. These are your future. And you want, if you're a big league club, you want to take the best care, you know, take the, you know, you want to take the best care you can out from those guys. You don't want them to, you know, be living on peanut butter sandwiches six days, six days a week. You know, you well, know I think to, they uh, might still eat peanut butter. That's all right. Though. <laughs> they're, they're in their twenties. They can do that. Uh, Milwaukee uh, has turned down the Mets request to interview David Stearns for their uh, open front office position uh, there in New York. Uh, I guess it's the, the second time that they've, they've done this. Milwaukee really likes David Stearns. He's under contract until uh, the end of 2022. So he's not going anywhere, and the Mets' uh, soap opera continues. Yeah, you know, this is what, Theo Epstein is, is out there. I think uh, Billy Bean sounds like he is out again. And now Stearns is out again. This is kind of a repeat of last year. The same, you know, those same names were mentioned. Then, you know, uh, some of the Indian, Mike Chernoff was a candidate there from the Indians. And, uh, you know, he decided to back off a little bit. And so, uh, you know, the search continues. And, uh, boy, Joe, you, you know, I, I know there's, what, there's, there's only 30 managers' jobs. There's probably only 30 well, there's probably 30, you know, it's GMs, assistant GMs. I don't know if he would come in as the, uh, the, the Mets guys is looking for a president of baseball operations or Sandy Alderson that, in, you know, holds that title. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, a, it's an important job. I, I'm sure it would pay well, but that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a turned over anthill to go into that, that spot in the Mets right now. Right, and it, it it creates a situation right now where Steve Cohen is going to have to overpay for whoever he brings in, and Steve Cohen can can afford to overpay for anybody, but he's going to overpay for for whoever takes the job, and it's probably not going to be somebody who meets the qualifications that he would ideally like. Theo Epstein would have been perfect for the job, you know, uh, Mike Chernoff perfect for the job. There's a reason he's he's continually turned it down. And it's because the whole situation right now is just a, a giant red flag. Who would want that job? I, 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 Chernoff, you know, 
could be the guy. He grew up a Mets fan. He's he's that's his team. I, I, I that to me that signals just what a total mess that whole situation is. Yeah, and Josh Burns, I guess, is a candidate. To get one of one of uh, the uh, the assistant GMs, or you know, one of the executives from the Dodgers, and uh, you know, he got his start with the Indians. So he's a guy that's been around, been with a lot of teams. He could fill that bill if, if he's the guy. But like you said, Joe, you know, Cohen, Steve Cohen said, I, I don't want to hire a guy where he's, he's learning on the job. I want somebody that's coming in here with credentials, that knows what he's doing, that can help us turn this thing around. Yeah, and there's, there's very – that list is very short of, of candidates then. Uh, also a short list of candidates uh, maybe looking to fill the Padres open uh, managing position. Uh, Mike Schilt now being uh, talked about as the the guy there uh, recently let go in St. Louis over a difference of opinion uh, on the uh, difference of philosophy with the front office. Uh, Schilt, you know, a guy who came up and he he's a lifelong Cardinals guy. Uh, what could he bring to the Padres? And, you know, I guess there's the, the East Coast drama with the, the Mets, the West Coast drama with the, the Padres. Is there another situation that's uh, sort of a huge dumpster fire at the moment? Yeah, uh, the Padres have gone young the last two times with their managers. You know, uh, guys that didn't, you know, did not have experience in the big leagues, uh, and uh, it, it hasn't worked out. Uh, um, so I, I would think they're looking for an experienced guy, a guy that's done it, that's had success. And, uh, you know, has, has taken teams to the uh, postseason, you know, and, and the, the Padres got a huge payroll, huge, you know, multi-talented players there, uh, and they need to do something. They need to get a guy that can get them over the hump. Yeah, that's a, that's a Cadillac roster there that you, you've got, and you've got some of the, the top players and pitchers in, in all of baseball on your roster. You you're not going to hire a, a guy, like you said, learning on the job there. Uh, Schilt has the experience and, and would seem to be a, a good candidate. Just is he going to be the right fit in that clubhouse? Uh, they they basically ran Jace Tingler out of there uh, after it, it just appeared like, you know, the, the inmates were running the asylum with, you know, arguments in the, in the, in the dugout during games. Uh, you need somebody who can sort of, be the the Fernando Tatis whisperer, I guess, and, and make sure he's uh, uh, in in lockstep with with you and, and what you're trying to do there. Uh, hopefully, Schilt can uh, can be the be the guy for the Padres if if that's who they're looking for. Yeah. Uh, all right, we we head back into the uh, ALCS after an off day. They shift to Fenway Park, the Red Sox and the Astros. Uh, what are we looking for tonight in uh, game three of a series that's tied at one? Yeah, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is going for uh, the Red Sox uh, tonight. He'll face uh, uh, Jose, or I'm going to but- butcher this name, Urquidy. Urquidy. Jose Urquidy is going for. Yeah, it's going for the, uh, for the Astros. Uh, Rodriguez, 13 and 8. During the regular season, 0 and 1 in the postseason, or, or Gwitty, uh 8 and 3 during the regular season. And uh, this is going to be, uh, we've looked at, you know, when you look at the two uh, 
you know, championship series, Joe, you've seen pitching and defense with the Braves and Dodgers, and you've seen like all out offense with uh, the uh, Astros and, and Red Sox. So far, the Astros are hitting 292 in this series. The, the, no, I'm sorry, the Astros are hitting 284, and the Red Sox are hitting 292 in the series. So lots of, lots of offense. What did you uh, think over the weekend of Carlos Correa's uh, little celebration after he hit the home run? I mean, when you hit a home run and you know you've hit a home run the way that Correa did, you know, he flipped his bat a little bit. He turned to his dugout. He pointed to his wrist. I think that the message was, it's my time or something like that. But uh, what, what did you think of the home run celebration for uh, Carlos Correa? I don't know, Joe. <laughs> Sometimes you know, I think... I think you got to enjoy it. You can enjoy the moment, but sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're the Red Sox, you got to be grinding your teeth a little bit, you know, <laughs> you know, you're sitting in the other dugout and, and watch that. So, you know, it, it's, it's part of the game now and, you know, it's fun. I like it at times, but I think you also you have to, you know, you have to kind of uh, realize the moment you're in and the series isn't over. You know, right. This right. Thing, there's still three games to play here. To me, uh, I think I think more along the lines of an appropriate home run celebration is one where you're you express in the moment you're you're excited, you're joyful. I think of Joe Carter leaping around the bases after he hit the walk off in Toronto in the World Series. That to me is an appropriate home run celebration. I think this, you know, beating your chest and flipping your bat and making it about you at the plate before you even circle the bases that to me, that's sort of, uh, you know, showboating and, and whatever. And it, if that sounds old school or, or whatever it sounds, I, I'm okay with that because Joe Carter's never going to get a 98 mile an hour fastball at his head for jumping around the bases the way he did uh, for the blue Jays when they won the world series. Carlos Correa, you know, I, I think deserves one in the ribs after that because you, you, you show up the other team and, and it's just, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a taste for it. It's just not, you say that's the way the game is now. I, I, I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, but Correa's hitting 500 in this series, four for eight. I mean, he's, he's having a big series and he's, you know, he's going to be a free agent this winter. So, you know, he's coming to the forefront, but I, I still, you know, okay, you know, have, you know, do that. If you're going to do that, you know, win it, you know, win the world series and, and like Joe Carter did with a home run yeah, exactly. and then, okay, then you can do all, then you can cartwheel your way around. around yeah. The or the other thing is you could probably, you just, if he's hitting four, 500, maybe try and get him out once in a while, then he won't celebrate. I guess yeah, that's the, right. the best thing you can do. All right, Hoinsey, we'll be back again tomorrow. I think tomorrow we're going to try and take a, a deep dive into this uh, uh, first-year salary arbitration eligible uh, list of, of Indians players. There's nine guys on the list uh, and, and what they could be making uh, due to arbitration figures if, they're not, if they don't get contracts or extensions. And, uh, you know, talking about the 40-man the roster and the, the changes that are are coming soon to a, a roster near you. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe.